Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of Dead Punnett Society. I'm your host, as always, Adam Proctor. And joining me today for today's episode is a man who should require no introduction, although he often operates behind the scenes. He was once described, self-described, I believe, as the Joe Biden to the Obama behind Jacobin Magazine. I don't know. I'm going to ask him a little bit more about that. What the hell he might have meant by that. You got a couple pieces in Jacobin that are of particular interest. One, because of the timeliness, perhaps accidental timeliness. Uh, it's called Elizabeth Warren is 30 Years Too Late. That's co-authored with Bass Carson Carr, of course, in the online version of Jacobin Magazine. We're going to talk all about the working families parties, like ridiculous endorsement of Elizabeth Warren over Bernie Sanders. And in the second half of the show, we're going to be talking about a really fascinating piece that Connor penned, uh, really an interview, a real personal story of Stephen Bertram Lee, who was an internet leftist, and then joined up with the radical socialist anarchists in Rojava. Uh, It's a really fascinating piece and reflection on the extremely online left and the contrast, the stark contrast uh, with those who are fighting and putting their lives on the line and putting socialist uh, socialist values and principles into practice. And uh, I laughed. I cried. We're going to talk all about that piece. It's a good one. Connor Kilpatrick, thanks for coming on DPS. Uh, thanks for having me. Now, this might embarrass you to talk about it on the air, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. Fuck it. Uh, DPS would not be what it is today without your support. So I'm really pumped to have you on. Uh, you're a humble guy. You operate behind the scenes, but uh, you definitely helped uh, help this program out quite a bit and give, <laughs> giving some recognition and some weight to 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 what I was doing. Uh, listeners will not know this, but three years ago, I was just some schmuck grad student who wanted to host a podcast, and I was I was asking some some pretty heavyweight serious people to come talk to me for an hour about politics. And uh, if it wasn't for your nod. Your uh, your seal of approval behind the scenes. A lot of those people would have been like, "Who the fuck is this guy? I don't want to talk to him." So uh, big ups for that. I want to give you some. Oh, no problem. I didn't. I didn't realize I was. I was so helpful. I'm. I'm glad to hear that. Well, I mean, you know, I'm just some schmuck grad student who's trying to get, uh, you know, Jacobin writers and and other established authors on the air to say maybe some like controversial things, right? <laughs> and so, right. and so having you know having you on my side, along with a couple others out there who will go unnamed, but they know who they are, uh, was really helpful well, to, to get to let, Let's just so. point out that the vast majority of the socialist left in America is basically schmuck grad students. So <laughs> you, you shouldn't feel bad about that. That's true. That's true. But uh, I, had some, I had some street cred with, <laughs> uh, with the Joe Biden of Jacobin on my, on my team. Uh, talk to us oh, about God, that. that. That that's taken on a whole that's taken on a whole new meaning in this campaign. So uh, uh, talk a, to us about corn pop. A, you and corn pop were uh, you and corn pop were at the, the, the city pop. pool back in '62. No, but w- what is it behind that designation? You got involved with Jacobin in, at the very early stages, and Jacobin, if I'm not mistaken, just celebrated a birthday. What what was it? Six he, or seven years? Uh, no, I think it's longer than longer. That. Was it eight or nine? It started. In, Fuck, uh, what so year yeah. is it? Jesus, this is when I feel old, Connor. This is when I'm like, I, I start counting on my fingers and I get to the second hand and I'm like, wait a minute, I've been doing this for longer than I want to like think about. I Maybe think eight or a, nine years, actually. I think because I want to say it started around 2010. Yeah, it's, it started around 2010. Uh, I got involved because um, I, I joined the socialist left um, relatively late in life compared to a lot of other people, which is maybe why I have different sensibilities about things. Uh, I kind of just... I kind of skipped college left 
and just jumped right into <laughs> Marx and Engels and Noam Chomsky from basically just being a vague liberal Obama guy. So I, you know, I in college, the, my political awakening was uh, the Iraq war, which if I knew one thing, I, I knew it was an awful, terrible, immoral thing. And uh, but I kind of just, you know, I didn't really <laughs> it didn't really go from there. I was in Texas and uh, I was playing, you know, in, in, a, in a band and I was an English major and I, I liked literature and, uh, you know, goofy stuff like that. So, Nerd. yeah, I was I was a soft boy. And I still am. And uh, so I, I didn't I got involved with Jackman because um, I I was uh, I just published uh, I had my first publication uh, in McSweeney's. Uh, it was a piece of short fiction. And Joyce Carol Oates sent me a really nice email about that. And uh, at the time I was working a okay media job and my girlfriend who I was living with my now wife was uh diagnosed with a very very rare ovarian cancer when she was just uh I think 21 years old I believe and uh it was right in the middle of the Obamacare debate and uh I was shocked that with the financial collapse and uh the awfulness of American healthcare I, I this man I love Barack Obama <laughs> uh I was <laughs> shocked that he you know it's How true I, I truly I thought How he would be he? like an – I thought – I was like, well, what the, as soon as the Democrats get back to power, they'll clearly enact some kind of New Deal-type reforms uh, and things will be better. So totally. when, that didn't, yeah. when that didn't happen, I kind of snapped. <laughs> I had a yeah. – because you know, at the time, my girlfriend, I mean now wife, was going through pretty brutal chemotherapy and I was sitting by myself alone watching old westerns and reading books and – I just wanted to just understand what was happening to the economy, why capitalism was what it was. And uh, I just started radicalizing. So I saw on Facebook this thing called Jacobin Magazine, which I didn't realize was just a, a college kid in a dorm. And I was like, Jacobin, I, I know what that is. That's the French Revolution. That's what we need. I like that. <laughs> and I just kind of like I, I contacted uh uh, Bhaskar and uh, who was what like a, a a sophomore at American University in Washington D.C. Oh my at the time God. or some shit. He was so young. He must. He have was been like twelve. Like, yeah. He must have been like nineteen or something. Yeah. When I met him, I was like, I'm like, what have I gotten myself into? He's he's this this is like a child. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I volunteered my services. Uh, I said, look, I'm I'm still learning about all these things, and I was reading quite a hilarious amount of uh, theory and history and. Uh, very rapidly and I was like I, I want to help I want to write I, I can write and I was like fuck literature that's bourgeois <laughs> and I kind of <laughs> abandoned a possibly pretty promising uh, literary career to bec- because I was so mad about uh, capitalism and I wanted to understand it and I wanted to figure out how to fight back the, at the time I was geez I was like 20, 27 years old or 26 years old something like that so I was uh, much older than a lot of the the people who join the socialist left these days, and and you brought some real like heavyweight media experience to the to the fray then, right? Like, I mean, there are a lot of like precocious writers, you know. Take uh, Bhaskar being one. Seth Ackerman was like a, a budding academic at the time. Mike Beggs, former all former guests of, the, of DPS, people will be familiar with these guys. We're all like budding grad students, but yeah. you had some real like media experience behind you, which which they definitely did not have. Yeah, at that time. I think that's what Bhaskar liked about me is that. Um, I wanted to help magazine be more pop, and uh, so I, I launched in pretty quickly 
uh, commissioning pieces, editing pieces, coming up with headlines. Uh, I kind of just took a behind-the-scenes role because I didn't feel very confident uh, at the time around all these very smart uh, grad student types. Um, but so I tried to I tried to help in that respect. And we, so the the Joe Biden thing was just because we we uh, we joked that oftentimes some uh, fairly prestigious person would want to meet with Bosker, but he'd be either busy like at his day job still, <laughs> which he had for a, a very long time. And uh, so I would it's we realized that oftentimes I was going out to meet the person. I would just you know I'm pretty good at the kind of smiling, glad handing, and you know hey how you doing just. Wait, wait. How how glad are, were you handing these people? You know, if you're the Joe Biden, you got to be careful. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't want to. But no, I I just so I I was just kind of a, I was it was just a superficial nice guy, and uh, I think that's the joke we started. And because we'd also Bosker and I would go work on things, you know, in my apartment. We'd get our laptops out, and kind of brainstorm crazy ideas, uh, many of which. Uh, kind of quietly failed and no one's noticed, <laughs> you know, thank God. Uh, others that, you know, did quite well. So, you know. So moving along, let's talk about this. Absolutely. Fu- I mean, I don't have any words for this. I mean, we, I think we all know kind of what's going on with this working family parties endorsement of, of Liz Warren. Now, thanks, honestly, you know, if, if I haven't been like standing for Jacobin enough already, thanks in part to Jacobin's coverage of this. There have been a couple of stories that have come out, but for those of you who've had your head completely in the sand, or you've been in like a, an alcohol and drug induced stupor for the past 72 hours, the working families party, which we'll talk about in just a moment, uh, has uh, voted s- sort of asterisk has voted with an asterisk to endorse Elizabeth Warren over Bernie Sanders. Uh, that group endorsed Bernie Sanders in 2015, 2016, and they have done an about face uh, for some pretty uh, ridiculous reasons. Uh, a lot of people are looking at this development as a massive blow to the Bernie Sanders campaign. It's a little bit silly. You know, an Emerson poll came out today showing that in the state of California, Bernie Sanders is tied for first place with Joe Biden. Uh, Elizabeth Warren is four points behind the two of them, and many others are trailing. I think Andrew Yang is like in a distant fourth or fifth, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, really? Uh, I didn't so, notice that. Yeah, I mean, Andrew Yang is polling ahead of Kamala Harris right now, who, you know, uh, Kamala's home state of California, by the way, which is... I mean, if if, if Bernie bros want to put put these things in perspective, they should go look at um, Democratic primary polls from this time in uh, 2007 in uh, September and kind of take a look at where, you know, Obama stood up in the polls or where John Edwards and Hillary Clinton did. So it's 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 pretty damn early to start getting too freaked out by these things. But of course... CNN and uh, members of the media are trying to play the working family saying is this massive death blow to, to Sanders, which it, it very much is not. Uh, you know, you're in a strange situation where you're watching CNN, the brother of the governor who basically inti- intimidated uh, working families party into endorsing him is, you know, staging this uh, interview to make it look like it's this is the death knell of the Sanders campaign. So, yeah, it's a. Yeah, that's that's the Cuomo brothers for those who aren't uh, tuned into New York state politics uh, or or we should talk about the Working Families Party for those who are abroad. Uh, I've got a pretty sizable international audience who are tuning in uh, with with great interest to the Bernie campaign because they see it as a kind of harbinger of, of big things in their own countries and also internationally because, you know, 
what happens here uh, has tremendous resonances uh, for for people all over the country, all over the world, rather. Uh, people in Denmark, uh, some shouts out to uh, the DPS listeners in Denmark and the UK and South America and Africa and elsewhere. Um, it is kind of terrifying that that how much things happen here really do matter for the rest of the world. It's uh, yeah, but what does Vivek Chibber always say? He says that the fact is God lives in the United States. <laughs> so what happens here does really what happens here really does, you know, unfortunately, really roll out across the world. It does. It does. So the Working Families Party for those people out there and those who are not, like I said, clued into, like, say, New York State or like the, the eastern seaboard, north northeast. Uh, they are a, a party that came about in the early 1990s. They've taken advantage of the fusion uh, fusion voting system that exists in many states. Uh, I know like Pennsylvania, New York State, of course, and a couple others have fusion voting. So what it is is that you can – they will endorse a candidate. That candidate will appear on the ballot under their party as well as say the Democratic Party, for example – uh, or say maybe the Green Party. And so those votes are tallied up together. So it prevents the kind of spoiler effect of running a third party uh, campaign. Um, now, this news came out after you and Baskar penned a really important piece last at the end of last week called Elizabeth Warren is 30 years too late, which is a really important uh, critique of Warren and her politics and her totally out of touch and anachronistic approach to progressive politics. In the you know wake of the Bernie Sanders wave, so let's talk about your piece first, and then we'll circle back to the working families endorsement and talk about Matt Bruinig's like demolition of the working party's family. Or, Jesus, say that ten times fast. Um, Elizabeth Warren is thirty years too late. Why? Uh, I think Elizabeth Warren is thirty years too late, and just her entire approach to to politics is it seems to be very much. Uh, not that far from Obama's kind of meritocratic uh, reforms at the top approach. It's uh, it's not a, a bottom up uh, kind of the political revolution through a working class movement that Sanders talks about all the time. I mean, his his uh, speech today, I was looking at quotes from it, at the Philadelphia Labor Conference, the AFL-CIO conference uh, were pretty astounding. He's like, when I'm elected, this is going to be a government of the working class for the working class. I mean, he all but said <laughs> dictatorship yeah. of the proletariat. Uh, I mean, that's yeah. uh, that's kind of his approach. And, and uh, Warren's approach is to basically reemphasize at every step that, that capitalism is fundamentally sound, that markets are in themselves a good, uh, and that that's how she – what the things that have gone wrong in the economy are corruption, which is, of course, always been a middle-class uh, progressive obses- obsession. And uh, – you know these this tinkering around uh, the, you know certain uh, financial reforms and, and deregulation, and that the way to solve the problem isn't to kind of help conjure up this you know mass working class reckoning. It's to you know get the right people in in the right positions and to kind of make the right reforms, and then that's how we'll do things. Like I mean, you know, she has a she supports a wealth tax, which is incredibly ambitious, something I support, but. It's kind of silly to think that the you know the coalition to implement a, a wealth tax is going to be those middle class families she's always talking about. You know they're going to help push this thing through. I mean to institute a wealth tax in America would be <laughs> quite an enormous political yeah. push from the have-nots against the haves. And the way it's, it's just 
she writes about it or talks about it like it's just kind of like uh, the correct policy paper to implement. It. Uh, yeah. She's got a plan for that, right? I mean, that's the slogan. You know, I. She, uh, yeah. She has a plan for that. You know, and, we and know, the, the professional we managerial know class tradition. love that shit. They eat. They just they eat it out of their hand. Why do you think that is? Right. Uh, well, because they think that capitalism is fundamentally sound. Uh, yeah. They think that you, you know, once again, appoint the right people in the right places. That there isn't anything uh, inherently unjust about a market-dominated society. Uh, I mean, I think that's why she's kind of like I don't want to say she's not for Medicare for all because she technically will, you know, has signed on to it. But it's she does this kind of like she kind of steps around it. it took her a while to get on board. It, you know, for something like that to make Medicare for all a, a political reality in this country would be a massive task, a massive task. It's not something that it's not one of many boxes to tick. Uh, so I, I just think that she fundamentally comes from the progressive tradition. And when I say progressive, I, I mean in, it in the most damning way in the kind of early 20th century sense of uh, middle class, professional class reformers who are going to be, uh, you know, practice the politics of moralism, you know, uh, middle class kind of uh, moralism aimed at uh, kind of like getting the workers in line to accept these technocratic reforms uh, that they're going to kind of go to the elite with. So I think it's a, you know, there's some good things that have come out of that tradition, but I think with what we're facing, which is legitimately an oligarchy <laughs> in the United States, that it's, uh, it's far too late for that. Yeah. yeah I mean, the, the progressive progressivism was born uh, in, in the soil of that also in, included involved, you know, most prominently the, the birth of what we now call the American middle class in the, in the midst of the Gilded Age and, and, and their uh, horror at, at that very, you know, unequal distribution of power and privilege, which saw them sort of shut out from, you know, the fruits of what they thought they should be getting as this, you know, respectable budding upper middle class, what we now call, you know, something like the professional managerial class following Barbara Ehrenreich and others who have built on that term uh, so well. I'm working on a video uh, covering the differences between a set of videos, a series of videos. Hopefully these will be out next week talking about the differences between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. And the, and the thing that I'm struggling on, I think we, we Bernie Sanders theory of uh, social change is pretty clear, right? I think we know what he means when he talks about the political revolution. And that has been furthered in no small part by the works of many Jacobin writers who have talked about exactly what that might mean. And compare and contrast that with more traditional socialist forms of transition and, you know, say the, the dictatorship, the proletariat and such. But what what is Elizabeth Warren's theory of social change? Elizabeth Warren's theory of social change is to basically go back to the mid 90s when she kind of seems to think everything went wrong in America, uh, the, the, you know, around the time that she stopped being a Republican and to kind of um, balance out the markets that, you know, that have been imbalanced by, uh, you know, some greedy actors, some bad actors, some corrupt uh, lobbying and lobbyists. It's all it's all very much a moralistic play. Uh, you know, I, I think it's actually I'm not really sure how much people should zero in on her her political awakening as a, a major shift, because you know, it, it kind of seems like moderate Republicans 
people who are moderate Republicans in, in the 60s and 70s just cor- you know, correctly found their, their best political home in the Democratic Party of the 1990s. So I'm not really sure that one can really identify much of a transition there. Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, weirdly not enough has been made about the fact that someone who was turning on C-SPAN and watching, I mean, God, I'm trying to think of the name of the congressman in the 90s who was on the you know, congressional floor, uh, a Republican, basically speculating about, uh, you know, Bill Clinton assassinating Vince Foster and, and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, there was then he God, there was another congressman who even reenacted what what could have been with like a pumpkin or something. It was a really loony time for the Republican right. So I always I'd like think to transport like, Chapo Trap House back into those days. Like they would have lampooned <laughs> those. The Republicans in the 90s were just an extra extra special well, flavor of batshit that were, we really forget sometimes. Beyond lampooning, man. I mean, like that's what's so that's what's kind of funny is think about Warren watching these people listening to Ronald Reagan talk about welfare queens and their Cadillacs. And, yeah, yeah. and she's like, you're damn right. You know, like shaking her little fists behind her law desk. Let's at, say, you know? no, let's give her the benefit of the doubt. Let's say she was just uncomfortable with it. So it's just kind of, it's kind of amusing to me thinking of, of her being like, well, overall, these are still my people. So <laughs> it's, I, I don't really know what to say about that. Uh, you know, it, uh, I, I'm a little skeptical. So she jumped ship in 1994 officially. Uh, when I she it was saw ninety four six perhaps, yeah, it would have had to be ninety six because it happened after the uh, the end of welfare as we know it by the Clintons. Allegedly, it was when she really uh, saw. You know, that's a really uh, to have seen interesting moment. I, I I watched a C-SPAN video of, of the vote to basically end welfare as we know it, and it's kind of not what you would think today in the sense that it's a bunch of old, very old white men with really deep southern Bubba accents. And you're, they're coming up to speak. And you think, because you're just, as someone born in, in 81, I'm just so used to seeing that and think, oh, God, here comes a far-right Republican. Instead, they step up to the microphone and start talking about how th- this bill is, is monstrous, is going to take the food out of uh, kids' mouths, and how they they can't, you know, they're not going to be part of it. So it just kind of shows, like, the the death of a of one Democratic Party and the rise of another. And it's the rise of one that I think Warren uh, fits in quite well with, a, a party that's increasingly dominated by the professional classes and the affluent suburbs. Uh, and that's a trajectory the Democratic Party has been on for quite a while now. And I kind of think that realignment is basically over. So in some ways, I think Warren's time has come but uh, it's not – it hasn't come for working class politics. It's come for this kind of anxious professional managerial class that uh, finds themselves in a curious uh, place in 2019 where they're looking at the complete collapse of the working class below them. And the, you know that frightens them. It concerns them. But they're also looking at this soaring uh, oligarchy above them, which both pisses them off and – you know angers them as well and they're, they're trying to kind of find their place in that but to me i think that's what that's what warrenism is so you know i i i she would be great if uh i say in the piece that you know if we had a, a strong labor movement elizabeth warren would be fantastic because it wouldn't really matter what her gut instincts were we would have the ability to make her do what we wanted to do uh the working class would have the the levers of power to do that but Man, the labor movement is on death's door, and what the instincts of an incoming 
Democratic administration are, uh, what they want to do is you know, personally, their personal principles and commitments and beliefs. Now, more than ever, they actually, they really truly matter. And uh, when you have Bernie Sanders in the race, I and you consider yourself a progressive person, I just, it baffles me that you would ever pick uh, her over him. But, um, you know, people are coming at, at this from a, if people are coming at this from a professional managerial class standpoint, I imagine Warren looks pretty great. Yeah, it's been referred to, and I'm not sure if you mentioned this in your piece, but it's been referred to by many as uh, the, the identity politics of the professional managerial class that are being exercised and expressed here. Because if you look at the support for, for oh, Warren, yeah, it's, you know, there, there isn't really much else uh, beneath this kind of this, this preening sense of like she's one of us. Yeah, I'm not sure they even care that she supports a lot of things that I really like. <laughs> you know, I, I love the idea of, of enforcing co-determination boards on all significant American corporations. I, I love the idea of a wealth tax. Uh, I I kind of don't think that a lot of the, the her newfound fans give a shit about any of that. <laughs> I think they just like the the the, the narrative of a, of a, a really smart person, uh, you know, the kind of professional managerial class teacher's pet kind of, you know, person with policy papers that are top notch. Uh, You know, that's, I think that really appeals to them. It's an inevitable, it's an inevitable expression of the, the post Trump American political scene, wherein people really embraced, you know, from Trump's inauguration on, they really embraced this, this increasingly hollow uh, aesthetic uh, sort of representation of rebellion Right. That doesn't have really yeah. any content behind it. Um, the and, and I think, you know, Warren is, you know, Warren is mad as heck and she had, she doesn't know how she's going to go about it. Right. She does. I, you know, I have, I have a lot of policies, oh, uh, you know, but w- a lot of strong words without any serious understanding of, of, of social change and building class power and, and having the, the tools and the weapons, you know, in your back pocket to, to wield that bully pulpit in an effective manner. And, you know, I think, you know, we need to really we need to start thinking very seriously as a, as a socialist left and start making these arguments about like what won't happen if we choose Warren over Sanders? Like what what in this in, incredibly expansive and, and, and exciting and promising political agenda will not happen? Like if if we we somehow uh, give Warren the bump, um, it's astonishing. The yeah, most you know, uh, important aspects and features of the Bernie Sanders sort of inspired wave would, would just dissolve. I, I worry that, frankly, I'm not even sure she can really beat Trump. Uh, I, I think she could beat him in the popular vote. I think the a generic Democrat, considering how unpopular Trump is with so many people, I think a generic Democrat could probably beat him in the popular vote, uh, especially if there's a recession. But I, I was just reading some article about the likelihood of yet another uh, popular vote uh, victory for the Democrats in electoral college loss. And it's it's pretty high. And so, uh, I mean, wasn't Nate Cohn just writing about how Trump's advantage in the electoral college is still there. So, uh, I, I just worry that the, the only way to really beat Trump is to win big is to bring in, uh, new voters, people, or more importantly, people who have left the left politics in America entirely, which is, a you know, disproportionately working class people. Uh, 
the uh, Obama Trump voters in the the Upper Great Lakes region, which who turned the tide. Uh, I wonder if Warren's going to be able to win them back or even get them to show up at the ballot box if they are disgusted with Trump. So uh, I, I really worry about that. I, I think that the only way to kind of institute the kinds of change that even Warren wants to do is to have a not a 51 percent type victory. Uh, Matt Carp uh, has this great piece uh, that came out during the midterms called 51 percent losers about how, you know, this coalition of the professional class can, yeah, they can eke out a few victories, but they can't win big enough to actually govern, you know, they, to in the United States right now to, to do such a thing, you would have to, you know, be talking about a, a massive victory, uh, you know, like a, the kind that we haven't seen in quite a while. And uh, I just don't see a Warren coalition able to do that. I, I think a Sanders coalition actually could, because I think Sanders brings in a lot of people from uh, the political process who become pretty jaded, uh, who don't see what's in it for them, who over decades have basically dropped out of politics entirely. Uh, I think Sanders could bring them in. Uh, so, you know, that's one of many reasons I still support him. Also, I, I, I think that, you know, I don't think we should be too glum about this. I think Sanders is still very much in this. And if you are, uh, if, you know, if you're the quote unquote, I hate to use this term, the establishment, <laughs> you're going to you're going to want to make people like us pretty depressed about it. You want to convince us that it's hopeless as a lost cause. And that's what they're doing. So, yeah, it, yeah. the fundamentals are, are still really sound. He's the has the highest favorability of any politician in America, anyone in the race. And uh, unlike, but, you know, this could, this isn't necessarily completely good. His uh, victories against Hillary Clinton before were disproportionately rooted in independent voters. Well, this time he's he's pretty damn well liked by, you know, capital G Democrats. So that's going to be a major advantage for him this time around. Now, at the same time, he's lost some of the kind of like uh, independent kind of, ill-defined, you know, I'm mad as hell and what the hell is in a label? You know, he's he's probably lost that kind of vote. He's kind of had to become a capital D Democrat over the years and just to get through the primary. So that's that's something that's not necessarily a, that's kind of a double edged sword. Yeah. Yeah. And as expected, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, and you just mentioned now, you know, the professional media class is just eating this up as always. This is like the fourth or fifth major crisis to rack the Sanders campaign as we hear over and over again, like a broken fucking record. And then, you know, the poll results yeah, come remember, out the next week and, they're wrong and he's up everything. like a couple percentage points. Right. <laughs> right. Like, just just remember that they're, they're fucking wrong about everything. I mean, at this point, it's not even like I, I don't even get upset about it. You just got to expect it. It's like, you know, it's what I imagine, you know, not to use something that could be interpreted as an anti-communist metaphor, but it's probably a lot like, you know, reading Pravda and, you know, the late days of, of the Soviet Union or uh, it's, you know, it's it's the party line. It's just that the party we're talking about here is the professional managerial class. So I, I don't think people should let it get to them. Now, that's not to say the Sanders coalition isn't a fragilely constructed coalition, which it definitely is, which is something that we should have our eyes open about it. You know, uh, I say in the piece that this this is a genuine social movement that, uh, that's behind uh, the Sanders campaign. But unfortunately, it still kind of revolves largely around him. We haven't built these, uh, you know, we haven't built independent working class 
socialist institutions yet, and um, they can think beyond elections, think beyond the next news cycle, and uh, that's going to be that's going to be a lot of you know that's going to be a, a life's work there. So, you know, there's many things to be optimistic about, but we we should go in this with our our eyes open. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, the democratizing trade unions, uh, among many other things, changing the makeup of the bureaucracies inside of some of these, you know, uh, nominally left or nominally progressive institutions is going to that's a work of a decade, at least. And there are a lot of people who are doing a lot of people are in the trenches. A lot of listeners of this show are are in the trenches of that fight daily. Right. Let let me let me give you some more optimism. Uh, Shortly before she died, uh, Judith Stein, who I really loved uh i was talking to her and she goes you know the thing about she's like the kind of trot left and the radical left misses about the really existing labor movement is like you know she's like these these men and women they're not dumb uh you know labor leaders like when when they see which way the wind is blowing and you could say the same thing about supreme court justices that even though that you know they they act accordingly so when they see the rise of the you know clintonian democratic party they correctly know that you know these people don't give a shit about them. They don't give a shit about the labor movement, and they kind of go into a defensive crouch. Now, I don't want them to go in that defensive crouch, but I understand why. They probably aren't going to get bailed out if they take a big risk. You know, they're not going to get much assistance. So, a Sanders victory, what it would do, and I truly would say this would be overnight, is it immediately emboldens the the left wing of the really existing labor movement like overnight to take chances that you know they wouldn't otherwise take and that they're otherwise they're probably smart not to take so uh that's that's no small thing and that's the kind of process that hopefully could possibly get uh you know a real working class movement going again in this country so uh that's why i think that you know we simultaneously want to be realistic about what what a sanders campaign can do but we shouldn't undersell the possibility. Uh, Roseanne DeMauro has written, uh, you know, of the National uh, of the Nurses Union, has written fantastic stuff about this, and uh, people should take it seriously. I mean, she's not some, she's not a fantasist. Yeah, yeah. We need to be. It's like the our our, our strategy here needs to be incredibly nimble, which is like something the left, it's like let's be honest, is historically not very good at good at, right? You know, like we need to prepare for many many outcomes. We need to prepare for what I'm calling. Like uh, we need we need to undergo something like capitulation inoculation, right? Like should he win? Right, yeah. right. We need to we need to inoculate both ourselves, right? Like from from having this gloom and doom scenario, like when he doesn't usher in you know full communism, like after a year or two, and we both at the right. same time like need to need to inoculate like his staff and his administration against you know we need to make it impossible for them to do what people refer to when they use the word capitulate. I don't like that fucking word. Um, but, you know, and on the other hand, when or sorry, when I'm, that's way too uh, pessimistic, if he should lose this battle. Right. Like we need to not hang up our, our hats, you know, uh, uh, take our ball and go home. We need to recognize this as as the first chapter in a lifelong struggle. Right. To, to bear the fruits that were planted during this time. Oh, yeah. And that's a lot uh, of that's a lot of projects to take up in earnest all at the same time. Right. I mean, if look, uh, uh, you know, I'm. I'm in my I'm in my late 30s. If I if I simply live to see Medicare for all, and uh, you know if I if I live to see Medicare for all, I I will have considered it a you know a successful <laughs> politically active life. Uh, you know this this is what we're talking about doing is 
pretty fucking immense, and uh, it shouldn't be something that we expect to to happen very quickly. It's uh, this is like a century long process. So, you know, if Sanders, I incredibly optimistic, but yeah, it's, it is important to start kind of thinking, you know, what will come, what what after, what after Sanders. Pardon the interruption, everybody, but this is the part of the program where I ask you to become one of the 400-some-odd patrons of DPS Media and become a subscriber today. Dead Planet Society is entirely funded by the generosity of our listeners and supporters. We cannot do this without you. The show may be free to listen to, but it is certainly not free to make. This requires a tremendous amount of hours, the bulk of my week. In fact, I do have some side hustles in order to make ends meet, but in an ideal world, I would be able to dedicate all of my days, all of my week, my entire month, my entire life, folks, to the project of democratic socialism and education and organizing and working towards this transition to a socialist society. But I can't do that without your generous support. I know there are a lot of worthwhile projects out there. It seems like every podcast and every uh, every project out there needs your dollars. Uh, and I'm no different. So if you have learned anything at all from DPS, if you are financially able to do so, if you benefit from this show in any way, uh, if you like the politics and you, you'd like to see them thriving and spreading out into the world, uh, help to fund some of my ambitions to do that Uh, i'd like to do more video i would like to expand the website i'd like to do more podcasts but to be quite honest with you we have to raise more money in order for me to be able to have the time to do that so if you like this project and you want to see it grow head over to www.patreon.com slash dead pundits become a patron today not only will you support the new left agenda but you will get access to our weekly b-sides as well and those folks they're very good, so you're not going to want to miss those. Thanks again, all of the supporters, past and present. Back to the interview. But uh, no, I'm I'm extremely, I'm still very optimistic. I spoke to Matt Chrisman from Chapo. He just got back from Iowa from the, the state fair, and uh, usually, I mean, we hang out a lot, and I'm usually the one being optimistic. He's usually all kind of a you know, pessimistic about these things. And so I was kind of matching, I, I kind of came to the table with uh, some pessimism for the first time. And he basically grabbed me by the shoulders and in his, you know, the Matt Crispin way. It was like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? I just was in Iowa. Like you have no idea is on the ground operation. It's really happening. And I was like, Oh Jesus. Okay. Like, so, yeah, 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 <laughs> so yeah, it, let's, let's, you know, let, let's not let the, the professional media class, you know, control the narrative too much here. Right. Like I want to point this out, uh, cause I, I teased this in the very beginning and I want to go ahead and get it out there. How like shambolic and fucking absurd, you know, this working families party, uh, endorsement was, uh, Matt Bruin. If you ever want to, fe- if you ever want to feel better about the socialist left right now, uh, if you ever see Seth Ackerman from Jacobin at some event or something, grab Seth Ackerman and ask him, hey, Seth, because he's someone who's a little bit older than me and been a socialist since he was a teenager. Say, hey, Seth, what was it like being a Marxist in uh, 1995, 1996? <laughs> and, uh, you know, he really quickly you'll realize, hey, you know what? The, you know, Today is better. <laughs> today is better to be a socialist than it was in the 90s you know things have improved it's better today it's better to be socialist than it was 
in 2010, 2011. My God, I can't oh, even believe yeah. what's happening is happening sometimes. It, it kind of, it's kind of mind blowing. So, you know, there's, there's plenty of reason to be very optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could just blow this up. I'm going to get through this really quickly. Matt Bruinig, of course, of People's Policy Project, uh, wrote a piece. Uh, Jackman picked it up. Uh, basically, it shows that, you know, this professional managerial class who is doing pretty OK in today's world. Right. They might be mad as heck. Uh, you know, they might they might uh, swig down beers, uh, you know, uh, for their their you know political campaign ads on the porch uh, and all folksy like. But they're doing pretty fucking pretty fucking well. And Bernie's political revolution just doesn't sit well with them. So what Brunig found was that based on the numbers that were reported, there are numbers that were not reported about how this vote went down. It was a a weighted vote for this endorsement. And we should expect to see more of this like in the trade union. So we need to be prepared how these endorsements go down and we need to dissect them. So it was 50% of the weighted vote came from members of the working families parties. And the other 50% was a weighted vote of the leadership. So a, a, a couple dozen people, I'm, I'm told, two to three dozen people. So two to three dozen people had the same pull as the entire membership of the Working Families Party. Now, Matt Bruni crunches the numbers and finds that based on the reported numbers, we don't have the exact breakdown because they hid it from us on purpose and gave us some ridiculous excuse about why that was the case. Matt Bruni finds that... Somewhere between 22 to 40 percent of the members voted for Warren, which means that somewhere between 82 to 100 percent of the leadership voted for Warren. (laughs) So no matter how that breaks down, like there's a tremendous split between the members and the leadership uh, which is, is pres- let's not, I mean, we're not fucking idiots here. This is precisely why they're not releasing the actual breakdown of this vote. And this, this kind of shit, I mean, you know, I, we can be optimistic here. Like it, that, that can't stand, right? They're, they're, pu- they're putting this together with, you know, with spit and lies. You know, this, this little uh, popsicle, you know, popsicle stick house they're trying to build, uh, you know. Yeah. To, to but, uh, crown you know, Warren. One advantage of this is I think it kind of is forcing people to, that are on the fence between the two. And I, I question how many are really torn between the two. But it is forcing them to kind of have to choose because even if they like Warren and there's tons to like about Warren. I mean, I don't, I don't hate Liz Warren or even dislike her. What this is doing is forcing people to realize here's, here's the, here's the class lining up behind her here. Here's the kind of people lining up behind what she wants to do. And, and hopefully it makes them think twice about that and clarifies their differences because, you know, Sanders and Warren have a, a personal friendship and a, and they're, kind of, you know, they're not at all attacking each other right now. So um, I think it gets hard for people to kind of draw distinctions because they see two people who, if you watch the last debate, that's, it looks like they're on the same side, especially with Biden kind of grouping them together. What did he, he basically implied that Warren was like under Bernie's spell, like he's some kind of a Manson-esque guru or something. <laughs> I, th- I thought that was kind of hilarious uh, in between him sucking his dentures back, back in his mouth. It was, it was all very grotesque. It is, uh, it is just, hard to watch. At the same time, like, you know, it's, it's, I, I want the socialist left. I'm glad they're watching that, and, I, and I'm glad they're seeing the polls the next day and showing that Biden's numbers didn't budge because it's a good reminder that um, I wrote a piece once called Nobody Cares About the Discourse. And, uh, you know, watching Biden's durability against all this shit, you know, it doesn't change hardly, you know, one little blip. You know, it's a a reminder that 
what the media is talking about, what they say is important. You know, it doesn't really it matters to other members of the media and it matters to the professional managerial class, but it doesn't matter to the bulk of Americans who are barely tuning in at this point and just, you know, they vaguely like all the top candidates, you know, and Biden to them seems like the surest bet. So it's not a crazy thing to think. So yeah, yeah, we could see all of this dissolve very quickly. Now, let me ask you uh, before we move on from this topic, uh, Jacobin, obviously both, you know, to its credit and also to its detriment is now really the, the tribune of this, this wing of the socialist left that's best represented by the Bernie wave. Uh, Even if Uh most of Jacobin sort of posits itself uh, to the left of of the regular Bernie crat, right? Um, right. So, so then you know, you being now the the story editor at Jacobin and a long time, uh, you know, a long time co traveler with the Jacobin types of uh, with the Jacobin folks. What do you see as the strategy going forward? Because there's a lot of dissensus among leftists about what that ought to be. You guys clearly are not sort of attacking Warren in the in the real like frothy mouthed way that a lot of people would like a lot of the extremely online would like. But you guys are certainly not pulling any punches. You're trying to bring in Warren people into the fray. I think it's important for us to remind folks that they do not have the same base. Right? We're not talking about the same person when we talk about the average right. like diehard Warren or diehard Sanders. Uh, person. They have a small overlap, I think, but it's um you're right. They they don't have the same base. But they have a small overlap that you know it. Every <laughs> every vote's going to count, and we want to win the, that overlap to our side. Um, so uh, you know, as as a Bernie supporter that I am, that's that's what I'd like to do. But uh, at the same time, it doesn't really make sense to you know we're we're building a democratic socialist politics, and uh, it you know it it makes sense to draw contrast between the candidates at this point. Um, because, you know, the people who are on the fence there, I don't think you're ever going to convince them that Elizabeth Warren is a bad actor. I mean, I don't think she's a bad actor. I don't think she's a bad person. Uh, I, I, I think she's actually for a Democrat, for a, a Democratic senator. She's pretty damn great in 2019. It's just the bar for being a pretty damn great Democratic senator in 2019 is pretty damn low. So um, I think it doesn't it makes sense at this at this time to kind of just basically t- show people that don't buy into the hype of uh i'm sorry no don't buy into the narrative there's negligible differences because if you're just looking at policy papers well if they both support each other's you know chosen policies then you're like okay well what's the difference that's not what politics is um i remember someone at new york magazine was telling me like well what's really the difference between uh, Sanders and Clinton, uh, he he wants to raise the minimum wage this much, and uh, she wants to raise it uh, just a couple dollars less an hour. And it's like, so he was basically trying to argue that the difference between the the two of them was like th- you know two or three or four dollars an hour, which that's an absurd way to look at politics. That's not how politics works. That's a technocratic uh, you know policy paper type way of looking at it. So I think that's what that's what um, you know. That's what I'm interested in doing right now is showing, uh, you know, there are really clear differences and there are real reasons to be very skeptical of uh, Warren's program. And frankly, there are things that she probably wants to do that I think are, you know, uh, that that aren't misinterpreted, that they're not necessarily uh, something a socialist politics or policies that socialist left, uh, the socialist left should be wanting to explore. 
And I think it's really telling. I mean, people should read her book uh, from 2004. Yeah. Yeah. And you clearly read that as research for this piece you that uh, you and Boscar wrote last week. So what was that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, you read it so we don't have to. It takes, it's, it's certainly, (laughs) I mean, it's like, it's not that she's suggesting things that are bad, although she does come out against um, universal childcare for pretty wacky reasons that I found pretty loathsome, uh, particularly how terrible childcare is in America right now. But, um, it, it it's it's this constant refrain of the middle class, the middle class, the, the people who work hard and save and go to college, the people who play by the rules. I mean, this is why the professional managerial class uh, loves her. You know that that's that's her her base. That those are her people. And as a socialist, that's not you know that's not how genuine progressive social change happens through the you know this upper middle class uh, suburban uh, voter type person you know it's it's the working class it's it's labor it's a uh, trade union militancy and this is something that she, when she talks about if she ever does it, she's not very good at talking about it because this is not these these aren't where her instincts are this is not her political background this is bernie sanders political political background these are his instincts this is who he is in his bones and uh as i said before you know, if this was 1967, you know, this isn't that fucking important because the labor movement in 1967 was relatively very strong. I think it was, what, 27 percent uh, uh, union density in 1967. That would be fucking fantastic. Um, it wouldn't who would you know, it wouldn't really matter what the personal beliefs of uh, the candidate were. You know, that would be just liberal nonsense. But when both. Sanders and Warren are looking at a gulf below them, you know, uh, a labor movement that's almost dead and certainly basically dead in the private sector. You know what they are going to be going up against, you know, what you're talking about, the quote unquote capitulation thesis. Uh, You know, they're going to have to be pretty almost crazy to take the moves that would be needed to take to start rebuilding a a working class socialist politics in America. And, uh, you know, that's not going to come naturally. <laughs> that's um, going to require a level of, of political commitment uh, and a dialogue with a mass working class pissed off public to ensure that they do the right thing. And that's, you know, it's it's to be seen if even a President Sanders, if even his election could summon such a, uh, a public. Uh, but. You know, I, there's a hell of a lot better chance of that happening w- with him than there is with her. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. A lot of uh, left socialist critics of the Bernie Sanders wave, you know, it, it, it occurs to me now that it's like, my God, like they're right. But they're talking about the Warren supporters. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, they're like, well, don't you think that these people are going to get a little bit of what they wanted and they're going to take their ball and go home and be happy and pe- be pacified? Yeah, you know, it's like I don't really know if that's if that's possible in under the the extraordinary contradictions of like neoliberal capitalism right now that the the vast you know bulk of the working class could be placated that easily given you know cataclysmic climate change and all the rest of it the, the terrible economic and political and social you know situations that they're that they're faced like it's like actually these people like these these uh, I you know I started to call them concerned trolls that's not very charitable some of these people are friends of mine but it's like no nah, they're right. But they're talking about Warren's base, the progressives, yeah. not not the Sanders wave. And that's what's so terrifying is that if it was, should Warren win, I think that these people could be placated very easily and demobilized almost overnight. 
Right. I mean, Obama openly demobilized <laughs> his uh, his progressive army. His, uh, you know, but not to you know. I, I think we should actually point out that the the, the Obama support his uh, the Obama coalition was pretty damn working class. You know, in two thousand eight, like, absolutely. Yeah. So it's like you know, it's it's pretty disgusting that uh, that was kind of just pissed away in a lot of respects, uh, and certainly the. The left, you know, there was no, they're basically a socialist left didn't even, I mean, it barely exists now. It certainly didn't even exist at all in 2008. But um, that's not to excuse, uh, you know, Obama's, uh, you know, presidency. But um, no, I think that uh, it's, I should also point out that anyone who, who pretends to know what's about to happen in, in the next year in American politics is, is full of shit. I think we're about to see some pretty wild fucking shit. And uh, I'm part of me is terrified thinking about it. The other part of me is, you know, cracking open some, you know, fucking bourbon and completely excited to see what maniac shit is about to be unleashed uh, in this, you know, political discourse of ours. So, yeah, who yeah. knows pull what's up, going pull to up a chair. <laughs> pull up a chair really quickly to finish off. Oh, that. I was going to say Joe Biden's eyeballs started bleeding <laughs> in the <laughs> debate the other night. I mean, this is like. This is blood this is, is going to shoot out of his eyes. His dentures are going to go flying across the fucking stage. Like his Botox face is going to like melt like the uh, like that scene from Indiana Jones, you know, and the, anyway, I feel uh, like that could happen. I feel yeah. like that's actually there's a two percent chance of a Joe Biden face <laughs> melt. Certainly uh, like a 30 percent chance of like a Joe Biden just complete physical collapse. I, I, I mean, I, I can't believe they've got this guy up on stage. So it's it's kind of funny thinking about the American ruling class, how much of them are just depending on this completely senile old conservative Democrat to just like make it through a speech, to make it through an anecdote. The corn pop moment was kind of like <laughs> the epitome of this. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing, right? Like something's just only recently occurred to me. I have some some friends and they're mostly, I would say family mostly because they're boomers and they're good like liberals, wishy-washy liberals. And they're like, ah, well, you know, Biden might not have the right stuff and he's too old. But, you know, uh, that Cory Booker, or Kamala Harris, or they're, they're going to come in and be his vice president. And then they'll take over the second term. And like, you know, that was the that was the kind of boomer you know, wisdom, I would say. And even like, I don't want to make this a generational thing. I think, you know, th- th- this was across the board, a lot of just wishy-washy libs, right? Um, and, and so like, I think we shouldn't understate like how much of a problem it is for these libs that 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 Kamala and, and Booker and those types of people and even Buttigieg to a degree are shitting the bed right now in the polls. Like they're completely fucking unviable as like any kind it's of kind like- of- you it's know, kind of running man at this point, right? And so Biden's in it alone, and I don't think any people in, in that in that class, uh, that political class, ever expected Biden to have to do it alone. They expected him to sort of join forces with one of these middling yeah, with, the, with the Beto. Yeah, yeah, and and, yeah, and they're just no. they've all just completely shit the bed now and left Biden alone, you know, on stage. Well, hey, there's to, there's to, something to, to be know. very optimistic about, man. A, a Pete Buttigieg, a Kamala Harris, a Cory Booker. Uh, a better work. These people would have been the fucking bee's knees in totally. two thousand four, in two thousand eight. You know, like it just it shows you how much politics have changed. That even your just median, barely tuned in Democrat sees these people and hears them talking their standard Democratic shtick, and it's just like, yeah, this has no relevance to me. This is means nothing to me, and just completely tunes them out. That's kind of a 
It's kind of wonderful. It is. We should flag that. I mean, they're just stuffed suits, and it's fucking out. These people would have mopped the floor with John Kerry, and even Edwards to an extent. Oh, yeah. And Edwards had some substance, you know. Um, anyway. Yeah, Bosker was a big Edwards guy, and I always tease him <laughs> about that. That like I was like, even as a barely political person, I was like, I could never forgive Edwards for his Iraq War support, and you could Bosker. So <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. no you're, you're the better socialist. It's clear. It's clear. I'll say it. it's fine. <laughs> God, he was like Bosker would have been like God, like 16 years old or something at the time. I was like hilariously old. F- final topic. Final question. I should say. Uh, let sure. me start some. Let me start some inter inter left. Uh, interleft magazine um, periodical whatever drama Nathan Robinson editor founding editor of current affairs magazine re- uh, wrote a piece last week sort of urging I don't know who, I don't know who his audience was it was just sort of he was sort of a, a wish to the sky on a, on a drunken night like walking home from the bar or something that that at some point either Sanders or Warren will drop out of the race should they fail to gain enough support and 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 pledge to become the other's running mate. Uh, this kind of pie in the sky fantasy that a that they share the same base, b that they share the same values, c that they come from the same kind of political even inside Washington traditions, which they do not. Um, so all those things are demonstrably false. I'm, I'm I'm sort of putting my thumb on the scale, aren't I? Uh, anyway, so be it. Uh, but but what what do you make of his what do you make of his 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 uh, his claim that this is going to thin out to a two person race and that Bernie and or Warren will have to exit prior to the convention? Because that's not my understanding of how this convention is going to go down. How do you see it going hey, down? Well, what I, you know, I'm I'm just a you know I'm a I'm a dad pushing forty. I don't want to get in peace <laughs> with anybody. Uh, I'm a you know I, I look. Who, like I said, who the fuck knows what's going to happen? It's going to be fucking insane. 2016 was insane. The it's 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 going to be it's going to be fucking nuts. So, for all we know, Warren is going to completely fizzle out in the same way Howard Dean fizzled out in uh you know 2004 or 2003, I guess. Um, so I I think that uh, it's too early to be, you know, making you know. Uh, Predictions like that, I think it actually says more about the kind of person, and I don't mean this negatively, but the kind of person who wants to see them as representing the same politics and the same base, that desperately wants to think that those things, uh, you know, can be uh, combined, you know, without any kind of tension. So I'll say that. And so anyone that would think that, I I would say I would disagree. However, I would say that I think that a Sanders-Warren ticket just in 2019 political realities would be just pretty much, you know, unbeatable in terms of the fact that we have to accept that the professional managerial class has fucking invaded the democratic party. And, uh, a large portion of them are very uncomfortable with Bernie Sanders. So, uh, you know, a Sanders Warren ticket is, would be something that I, I think could probably, you know, to do quite well electorally, but, um, yeah, you know, it's too it's too early to, to talk about such things. I think. Yeah, no doubt. It, no doubt, it's pie in the sky. No doubt, the impulse is right. I mean, people want to win, and and they'll take a compromise uh, in order to 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 get that victory. I just I want to see my man Raul Raul Grijalva, uh, you know, the, the congressman. I want to start seeing him getting more talk as a VP. I, I love that guy. So didn't he, uh, didn't he have I, some kind of like it was a faux scandal of some kind that he was? He did. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, oh, that, that, I hope I they hope tried not. to drum up. They tried to drum up something on our boy uh, Raul. I think I, you know. Pardon me if if I'm wrong about that. Uh, you guys slander me. You know, let's be honest. You guys are going to slander me online no matter what I say. But I'm pretty sure that he he had some 
like campaign finance issues or something. Then again, like who doesn't, right? Like campaign finance laws are really <laughs> fucking impossible. And if you don't, well, like, let's, let's let's not speculate until we, we we look that up. So yeah, yeah anyway, I haven't heard that. Yeah. But uh, you guys, I'm just a right. fucking layabout podcast host. I don't have any serious journalistic integrity. Just put that on me, not on uh, not on the Joe Biden <laughs> of Jacobin Magazine. Uh, all right, well we'll 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 uh, wrap there for the A side. Um, you know, there there are a lot of balls in the air right now, and I think people should be. There are a lot of people making very serious and very passionate strident arguments about what has to happen. And it's like, we all need to fucking chill out for a second, I think, right? Like, I think we all know that, like, now is absolutely the time to strike while the iron is hot, to make these distinctions between progressive versus democratic socialist politics, policies, strategies, all the rest of it. But, like, we can do that without collectively shitting our pants online. Um, I think we, we can at least be in agreement of that. Yeah, collectively shitting your pants online is, is a very bad thing. It won't make you happy. Speaking of this uh, collective uh, pants shitting online, that's going to carry us into the B side. We're going to talk about your next piece uh, pretty briefly called The Online Left Goes to War. It's in the latest print issue of Jackman Magazine, uh, wherein an extremely online uh, left partisan went to fight in Rojava, of all places, and uh, ended up making memes. And the story will, you'll you'll laugh, you'll cry. Uh, You'll get extraordinarily mad at the extremely online left. We're going to talk about that on the B side, everybody. <laughs> Join up on the Patreon. You guys know what to do by now. Uh, Patreon.com slash Dead Punnets. Become a subscriber. You'll get access to the weekly B sides and uh, all kinds of other good shit. You know, good things happen when you subscribe to DPS Patreon. Uh, move your money, folks. Hashtag move your money to DPS. Uh, I don't know. I need, I, need a ca- I need a campaign, Connor. We're going to talk about this for the B side. Um, all right. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Uh, thanks again to uh, Connor Kilpatrick, story editor at Jackman Magazine, prolific author, uh, dad, uh, husband to <laughs> the fantastic Mer- uh, Megan Erickson Kilpatrick, I should note, a former DPS guest, uh, author oh, that's right, of yeah. class, uh, what is it, uh, class Class rules, my God, I'm, I'm, uh, what's the name yeah, of the it's, book? It's just cl- Class War. Class War, uh, something yeah. war in the classroom, and it's a, it's a really excellent book. Uh, really ahead of its time, presaging a lot of the uh, teacher strikes and public teacher uh, organizing that that would happen a year or two afterwards. So, shouts out to Megan, and we're going to take it to the B side. Connor, thanks again. No problem.